Hi, sisters. Welcome back. We are going through the gospel of John right now, and we are in John chapter five, starting in verse 17. And this is super exciting because Jesus gives us seven ways that proves that he is God and he was God on this earth. This is an essential doctrine. And I'll be honest with you, saints, with one out of four evangelical Christians now saying that Jesus was not God or is not God, that is dangerous because this is salvation issue. So I'm super excited to equip you guys with the seven ways that Jesus proves he is God. And the Pharisees knew that that's exactly what he was saying about himself. So dive in, grab your word, or just listen along. Either way, we're going to be going verse by verse. Hi, family. Welcome to God's Word Transforming Lives. Are you wanting to learn the Bible verse by verse, one letter at a time, with real life application? Then this podcast is for you. My name is Amy, and I have been teaching the Word of God to women for over 15 years now. I came out of some trauma from my childhood, and it left me feeling so empty. And after searching high and low with everything the world had to offer, I always came up short until I learned the Word of God for myself. And it was in that that I became transformed. So if you would like to be transformed by God's Word, then stick around and let's do this together. Did you know that I have a study guide that I have written sisters just like you who really want to know the deeper things of God, who want to understand God's attributes like love, God is truth, God is righteous, he's just. What does it mean that he's omnipresent and omniscient? And what does that mean for you personally? When people talk about Jesus and being justified and sanctified and to be redeemed, and how can you apply it to your daily life? And so many other questions, like, can we really trust the Bible? And who are we as man? Is hell real? These are great questions that we need to know the answers to as we are walking in our Christ-like faith. To love him is to know him. And Jesus said that we will be worshiping him in spirit and truth. And it is the truth that sets us free. So if you want to go deeper in your walk with God and have more understanding of the things that he has truly done for you and know more of the word for yourself, I highly recommend this study guide. I will have a link for you in the show notes on where you can get it. It is on Amazon and it's called Equipping the Saints. I hope this episode blesses you. Okay. So John chapter five, we're going to start in verse 17, but I'm just going to kind of remind you guys what we talked about a little bit last week, just to kind of remind you guys where we're kind of at in the scene with Jesus and the Pharisees. Last week, we talked about how he healed the, the, the man at the well, the man at the pool of Bathsheba that says the, I had it last week. I had it this week. Forget it. Anyways, and so how Jesus had healed him, but he healed him on the Sabbath, and it really got into the Pharisees' crawl. And we talked about last week about the religious spirit and how the religious spirit, you know, is is, is so uh, so um, aggressive that they didn't even care that this man who had been bound by his physical limitations, he was um, a, a paraplegic or could not walk and could not move for 38 years, this man was what the Bible calls in the Greek, impotent. 
which means now impotent kind of means something different to us today. But back then, it literally mean he he couldn't he couldn't walk. He couldn't he he was paralyzed. And here comes Jesus on the scene with his mercy and compassion, and he heals this man. And the Pharisees get instantly so angry because this man was healed. This man come to them and they saw him because Jesus said, pick up your bed, rise up and walk. Pick up your bed and walk. And they were so angry that this man was carrying his bed because what religious spirit, what the Pharisees did was they added all their own rules and their own traditions onto the Sabbath because God had said, rest on the sabbath and so they had taken that to a whole nother level and they actually make the made the sabbath day in that time one of the worst days of the week the most bondage the most they didn't even look forward to the, the sabbath day coming on sundays because the pharisees had added so many extra rules and regulations that they couldn't even barely function in their own homes and they had to be cautious of every little thing they were doing or they were going to sin and so and that's what the pharisee spirit does it loves to put bondage on you it wants to keep you bound it wants to keep you serving man it wants to keep you serving them thinking you need them for some reason and that's what the religious spirit does and so um, and so that's what Jesus was up against here. He had just healed, healed this man. And we kind of talked about last week how this man comes to them and they don't even see that this man of 38 years was healed, fully healed, was able to walk, picked up his bed. All they cared about was who told you to break our rules. That's all they cared about. Because the religious spirit doesn't have love. They don't care about the people. They don't care. They just care about themselves. And so that's what Jesus was up against here. And so in verse 16, it said, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. And because he had done those things on the Sabbath, they wanted to kill him. That word persecute, we talked about last week how it's a, it's a pr present tense in the Greek. It means continued to want to kill him. It was an ongoing thing. Now they just, it was a passionate pursuit to want to kill him. And so Jesus is standing there. And I want you to picture this. Jesus is standing there and all the Pharisees are there. And they're, and they're, they're angry. They're mad. that How dare Jesus tell this man to do something that they as religious people told them not to do. And so he's standing here, and I want you to really picture this. So here's what Jesus is about to do. Jesus is about to say, hold my Pepsi and watch this. He goes, you thought it was bad that I healed somebody on the Sabbath? I'm about to blow your mind with what I'm about to tell you about me. And we're going to get into where Jesus does declare himself God. And I'm going to show you verse by verse how he does that. We hear false teachers and false religions say Jesus never said he was God. Jesus never said that. Jehovah Witnesses will tell you that. Jesus was never said he was God. I beg to differ. And the, Jew, and the Pharisees knew exactly what he was saying here. And so I want you to picture Jesus really ramping him up. They thought that he they were mad in verse 16. He said, hold my Pepsi and watch this. It's about to get rowdy. So verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Jesus has just declared himself God over the Sabbath. He's literally just said to them by saying my father, he's not only just said me and the father are equal in nature, which is blasphemy to the, Jew to the Jewish leaders, but he's saying we have been working together. God is the God of the Sabbath. He rested on the seventh day of creation. He rested from creating, but he did not rest from his creation. 
God is always sustaining the creation. He's always, his eye is always on us. His, his ears, he's always working among his creation. That never stopped. If God would cease to stop working, even if it was just on Sunday, the whole universe would be obliviated because he sustains it. So here's what Jesus is saying. Not only am I equal by saying my father, not only am I putting myself on the equal playing field of God himself, but I'm now telling you I am the God of the Sabbath. I was there on creation. I was the creator. And so I can do what I want on the Sabbath. I'm not going to break God's law because I wrote the law. But I'm not going to bow to your ridiculous traditions and your ridiculous laws that the scripture doesn't teach. Can I get an amen? Amen. And this is why it's so important I tell you guys to know the Bible for yourselves. Because Pharisees live all around us. False teachers live all around us. Wolves in sheep's clothing live all around us. And they look good. They make it sound good. They even use scripture out of context. And because you don't know your word, or because there was a time when I didn't know my word, I was very easily deceived. Just like these people are. Because they just listened to whatever their religious leaders told them to do. And they were in bondage to them. And they walked away from the one true living God. Judaism had become apostate by the time that Jesus had come up on the scene here. So he's saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And me and my father are one. I was there at creation. And isn't that what John wrote? Now John wrote this gospel. Isn't that what he said? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made. Jesus just backed up what John wrote in John 1, 1. So John's now saying, listen, I didn't just write this. I'm telling you, John says, yeah, he's the creator. Now he's saying, but Jesus actually said this too. And so he's writing the account of what Jesus actually said to the Pharisees. Wow, it just got real because verse, 13, verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. They wanted to kill him in verse 7, 16 in that present tense. Now they had a passionate pursuit. They need this man, Jesus, dead. How dare him? Put himself on the equal playing field of God. How dear him is a man who, who looks like them and talks like them and worships in the same temple as them and wears the same clothes as they do. Put, them, put himself equal with God. So therefore the Jews sought to all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making him equal with God. Now from this point on, I'm going to give you guys seven different ways that Jesus declared himself God. Seven different ways that he had to be God. I want to set this up to you. Now Jesus is either God from this point on. I need you guys to grasp this. Either Jesus is God or he's crazy or he's a liar and a manipulator and one of the most deceptive person human beings to ever walk this earth he can't be one or the he can't, he's either one or the other in your mind tonight either he is crazy a lying deceptive manipulative blasphemous man who deserved death or he's god 
And you're going to have to come to that conclusion tonight after we read this. Now we have Mormons out there that say he was, he's one of many gods. We have Jehovah Witnesses that say he's not God incarnate. He's not God. He's the son of man. He's, he was a human, but he was not God. We have Hindus and Buddhists who say he was a very good teacher, noble man, very good. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't declare a teacher to be good and noble if he's a lying, deceptive, manipulative person. But they do. Muslims claim that he's a good prophet. He's a good prophet. He's not God, but he, he's a, he was a good prophet. He was good. I mean, he had signs, wonders, and miracles. No one denies Jesus' signs, wonders, and miracles, y'all. Not even the earliest, earliest historians. They don't deny that he did miraculous things, that he, they can't explain it. Even Nicodemus, remember just a couple chapters earlier, when he called to him, he said to him, you must be from God because we have never seen somebody be able to do these kind of signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, he didn't declare him God, but he says, you must be from God. So now, keeping that in mind, this is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. Either Jesus is God and you believe that, or he's not God and you're not truly regenerate. Because the Holy Spirit can, will only bear witness to the truth. And so think about that as we go through these next ones. Seven different ways, if you're taking notes, on how Jesus declared himself God. Verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, does anybody remember when Jesus says most assuredly what that means? Truly, truly. truly. I'm about to tell you some truth. This is going to blow your mind. This is an absolute truth. You better listen up because I'm giving you the, I'm giving you universal truth right now. Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for Whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. He just made himself one with God in works. Number one is works. He's saying, whatever the father does, I also do. We're one in works. We're one in creation. I was there. Genesis, we created. He was there in works, in creation, now, the Jews would have understood what he meant. Remember when we talked about Nicodemus, how the Pharisees knew the Old Testament. They had probably one-third of it memorized. So when Jesus says things like this, he's taking them back to certain Old Testament scriptures. So the Jews would have understood exactly what he was saying here, that he is declaring himself one with God in works. Number two, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. All-knowing. He's now telling them, I'm all-knowing. That is an attribute that is only afforded to God himself. All-knowing. He's all places at all times. He knows every thought that you have. He knows your heart. He knows if you're playing church or not. He knows every deed. He knows it all. Remember when Jesus, back in chapter 2, uh, I think it was 2, when, they, when all of a sudden they see all these signs, wonders, and miracles, and all of a sudden all these people wanted to follow him for his signs, wonders, and miracles, and they said, we believe in Jesus, but he knew their heart. 
And he said, you're only following me because you want a better life now. You want what I can offer you now. You want me to heal you. You want me to make your finances better. You want me to take care of you. You don't want to go to hell, so you want to make yourself feel better to lay your head down at night not thinking you're going to hell. But he knew their heart, and he said, I will not commit myself to you because I know your thoughts and intentions of your heart. You don't actually believe in me. Only God has that attribute. I do not know the intentions of your heart, Mike. I don't know the intentions of your heart, Daniel. God may give me a glimpse of something through a word of knowledge because the Holy Spirit now lives in me, but I do not know all things. I cannot judge your heart, your mind, your salvation, or your motives. I can't judge your motives. And so when we, when, so when we, we don't have that attribute that only belongs to the God of Israel, only belongs to the, to the one true God of the universe who created all things. And now Jesus is now saying, I have that attribute. I have the attribute to be all-knowing. So either Jesus is crazy or he's God. He's either a fantastic liar or he's God. Verse 21. So number two is knowing. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Number three, he is the God of resurrection. Another attribute that only God can do. They knew all through the Old Testament only God could give life and only God can take away life. Still to this day, only God can give life and only God can take away life. God, only God can raise a dead man from the grave. And Jesus did it. Who did he raise from the grave? Lazarus. Lazarus. So not only does he say this, but he's going to back it up here pretty soon. I have the same power over life that God the Father does. We're watching the Trinity here at work, you guys. God the Father. God the Son. With God the Holy Spirit. We're seeing it in action. So number three was resurrection. Verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. He is now equal with God in judgment. Now we know by reading the Old Testament that God is the ultimate judge. Only God can judge. Why can only God judge? Because it takes a righteous judge, a holy judge, a judge that knows all things from all time to be able to rightly judge on judgment day. Correct? I don't want Gabby being my judge on Judgment Day, although she'd probably give me a free pass because she really loves me, so thank you. But God's standard is perfection, and he's going to hold us all to that standard. And so he's gonna, he has to be somebody with pure righteousness, pure holiness, and knows all things to be able to judge righteously and perfectly. Only God, again, has that attribute. But here's Jesus saying, Father's not going to judge you. I am. Whoa. He's just saying, I am the judge. The, the Father has given that right over to Jesus. So Jesus has to have those attributes that are only attributed to God in order for Jesus to be the judge. Does that make sense? He has to be omniscient. He has to be, you know, he has to be all-knowing, present at all times and all places. He has to be all those things. He has to have the attributes of being purely righteous, purely truthful, no deceit within him, no corruption in him. 
so that was number four, judging. Well, you can all, we'll also see that in another verse coming up on 27. Verse 23, what all, that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Whoa. He's now saying that he's also equal to be worshipped just like God. That is absolutely heresy, blasphemy. He should be stoned right now on the streets if he's lying. Verse 24 and 25 go together. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So he's saying most assuredly, verse 25, most assuredly, I say to you, the honor of is the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God. That means he is God. And those who hear will live. Now he's talking about regeneration. Now God is the God of regeneration. He's able to bring salvation. Now we know that only God can save, correct? Only God can save a man. Only God can save a soul, correct? So verse 24 and 25, he is, number six, the God of regeneration. He can regenerate a soul. How do we know this? He's saying, I have been given. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now he's talking about spiritual death. What is it? We, when we, before we get saved, we are dead in our sins and trespasses, are we not? We're dead in our sins and trespasses. We're blind by our sin. We're, we're running, we talk about how we're, just, we're falling like zombies after our sin and after our flesh and our fleshly desires. That's what dead men do because we're born in the seed of Adam. And so that sin affected every single human being. And so we just, we, we just continue to just go after sin. But Jesus is saying here, I have the ability to take you out from that sinful nature and bring you into life, eternal life with me, to change your very nature, to make you born again, to make you new. That's what coming out of death, passing through death and into life, being dead in our sins and trespasses, living in that slave market of Satan, now being pulled out of that, the veil has been lifted from our eyes, according to 1 Corinthians. We now see through a new, new eyes, through Jesus Christ, we are now a new creation in him. And he's saying here, I have that power. I have the power to, re to regenerate a soul. Again, an attribute only afforded to God Almighty. Verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he is granted the son to have life in himself. This one actually kind of like blew my mind because I never thought of it like this before. Number seven is self-existent. He's self-existent. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. That literally means self-existent. God Almighty the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created all things, the one monotheistic God is self-existent. Self-existent means he had no end. He has no beginning. He always has been. He is the I am. Self-existent. He has no need. God did not create you because he was lonely. 
He has no need. When you hear those word of, pray, word of faith preachers that don't know God and don't know the truth tell you that he created you because he was lonely, that's blasphemy. Because then God's not self-existent. Because if he's, if he's, if he's self-existent, he has no need outside of himself. He's fully capable. He's completely independent of his creation. He's self-existent. And only God has that attribute. We are not self-existent. We exist within him. He created us. But no one created God. God has always just been. And so Jesus is putting himself up on that same level. Seven different ways where you see the Trinity at work here. You see how Christ left heaven, came down, and he was always divine. He was there at creation. He's always been divine. He's always been the son of God. But for a moment in time, he also put on the tent of man and came down here because only God could take our sins. It had to be a perfect, sinless lamb that took our sins. So it had to be God. And it had to be man because it had to be our high priest. Jesus was 100% man. He had, a, he, had, he had the tent on. He was 100% man so that he could atone for our sins. But he was also 100% God. But he, but his divine attributes, God, but God limited his divine attributes while he was there here on this earth so that he could be in this tent. So he could be 100% God and 100% man. It's called the hypostatic union. I encourage you guys to go and Google the hypostatic union because it's too much for me to teach on tonight. It's an entire theological thing to understand. But it's called the hypostatic union where God, where Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. He's still to this day fully God and fully man. He is God though. That's what, that's what he's trying to explain to these Pharisees. I'm not just a mere man standing here before you. I am God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with you. I am God. I put on your tent. I, I, I came to, and was tempted at all points just like you, but I did not sin in that because I'm going to be a sinless perfection. And we're going to get to that where he says here in verse 27 and has given authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Now the Pharisees would have understood that this is going to take you back to Daniel 7, 13. And let's go back to Daniel 17. Now this is Daniel where he where he was having dreams and visions about about the Messiah coming about the end of days and they would have known this let me get there I should have marked it and didn't there you are oh I did mark it okay 713 now this is Daniel he's giving the prophetic okay he's given the prophecy here of what to look for with the Messiah who will the Messiah be I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man which is jesus coming with the clouds of heaven he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him then to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom to all the people's nations and languages should serve him there's another serve honor worship his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away, and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. So when he used the word son of man, this would have taken them right back to the prophecy of Daniel where he prophesied that the son of man, which is what God calls the Messiah, is Jesus Christ standing before you now. I get that the Trinity is difficult. 
But you have to remember, God's ways are not our ways. And our finite minds cannot fully comprehend the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God working in three separate natures all at once. It's a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous doctrine that's laid out all through Scripture for us. And we can, we're, we're never going to be able to fully understand it in our finite beings. We are created by the creator. And if we could understand everything and all things about him, we would be equal with him. God's ways are not our ways. At some point, your mind has to just go to a place of, I can get it to an extent, and then there's faith. And then there's faith. But God said it. I believe it. And Holy Spirit always bears witness with the truth because Holy Spirit cannot lie because Holy Spirit is God. So verse 24, do not marvel at this. Okay, so he says, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. So he's reverting back to the prophecy of Daniel. They would have understood what that meant to be called the son of man. I am the Messiah. I am God incarnate. I am the one that has been prophesied about. Do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of, of condemnation. Jesus will resurrect every single solitary human being from the beginning of the time till the end of time. All at once. It's going to happen. We don't have to worry about where their bones are. Doesn't matter if their bones disintegrated 10,000 years ago. He's going to call forth every life. And they're going to give an account for their life. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to get a resurrected body, a brand new body, fit for heaven. You're going to get this a brand new glorified body. Who here can say amen? Amen. Brand new body. Fit for heaven. But those who did not believe in him, those who did not believe in his word, did not, they might have believed in their mouth, but their hearts were far from him. Because there's many of those. They say they profess Christ, but they don't actually believe in the Christ who's literally revealing himself right now for who he is. And there's a lot of people, I just named off Mormons, Catholics, Jehovah Witnesses, Muslims. I can, the list is long. And I can tell you we have a lot in Christendom now. Like, we can really look at the Mormons and go, yeah, they're pretty much not Christian. But do you know how many word of faith people and all those type are also not Christian just by what they believe about Jesus? You have to not just believe in Jesus. You have to believe in the right Jesus. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. What does he say? Many are going to come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord. Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we do healings? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Now, these are people that are professing Christians. They even went to Bible studies, Sunday school teachers. They were in church every Sunday. They might come to BTC. God forbid, I hope not. I hope they would hear the gospel and get saved. But they believed in a different Jesus, not the one revealed in Scripture. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Because you didn't know him because you refused to see the truth. See, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. The natural man cannot understand the things of the supernatural. That's why Jehovah Witnesses read this and still do not see Jesus as God. I saw this and I saw it so plain in black and white that Jesus is God, but I also know God. I know God's attributes. 
Well, about a year and a half, two years ago, we studied God's attributes. I knew what it meant to be self-existent. I knew God is the only judge. I knew God was the resurrection. I knew his attributes of being omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent, all-powerful. I know those attributes. So when I see Jesus talking here, because I already know my God, because I study the scriptures and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, I saw God so clearly here. And I wept and I worshiped him while I was studying this. I thought, wow. As many times as I read this and studied this, it just came even more alive to me. Jesus is God. I mean, I always believed it. I never doubted it. But if I didn't believe there was ever even an inkling that I, there was ever a little doubt, not after I was reading this, I was like, Jesus, it was so plain. And yet, you know, the Pharisees still didn't get it. Why? They were blinded by the religion they were dead in their sins and trespasses. And I'm so afraid that there's just so many out there today that are the same. They're blinded. Because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit reveals himself to you. It says in 1 Corinthians that only Christ can lift the veil. He's the only one that can lift it. So if you have that veil over your eyes, it's going to look very... It's not going to look supernatural to you it's gonna look like foolishness because Romans says it's foolishness to those who are perishing absolute foolishness what we're teaching here right now so either Jesus is God because he just gave all the same attributes that are only attributed to God that there's no other creation that has it angels don't have it we don't have it so either Jesus is God you cannot come to any other conclusion tonight other than Jesus is God or He's a crazy lunatic that died on a cross for no reason. Yeah, it's foolishness. But it's foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to those who are blind in their sins and trespasses, who refuse to believe the truth, even though it's sitting right in front of them. It's, it's called foolishness. That's why the word says it's foolishness to those who are perishing, who are still dead in their sins and trespasses, like Jesus says here. And then he's saying that some are still, and, and then we got to get back to this, the resurrected body. So you're going to get a new resurrected body. If you're a believer, you're going to get this beautiful resurrected body that's going to be fit for heaven. Came and left heaven. That's what Jesus is trying to explain here. I left heaven. I left the fullness of the glory. And I put on this tent and limited myself for 33 and a half years so that I could show you guys the truth because religion had went apostate. So I could reconcile you back to God and make a way where there was no way. He's saying, do you understand? Don't you get it? And then he died on the cross. He was humiliated and beaten and whipped and beyond recognition as a human being and then went up on that cross and he took all the wrath of hell deserved for you and me. That's why it's such good news, you guys. This is why. And then he said, it's finished. So now, if you truly believe in him today, you're going to die and get to stand in judgment. And you're going to stand there on that day. And the, your brother, the, the, the Satan, who is the accuser of the brother, is going to try to bring up everything against you. And Jesus is going to say, no, it was finished. I took that. I atoned for her. And you get a free pass. Because Jesus took it. Because sin had to be paid for. There had to be a ransom. 
And so, but God just couldn't put it on just any man like a Gabby or a me because we're sinful. So he, as God, came down and he died for you. It wasn't just some random man. It was God that died for you. It's the beauty of the Trinity. And then the Holy Spirit seals you when you repent of your sin and place all your faith into him. And you get sealed for redemption. And he says, I promise I'm coming back for you. Whether he comes back for you in a form of a rapture, he's going to take your soul. He can require our souls tonight. It's a promise. But like he's told you in the past three and four chapters, you must believe. You have to put your faith in that what Jesus is saying about himself. That he's God. That this is him. That he came for you. You got to repent and believe. We have to have faith. This isn't easy believism. It's not, it's not fluffy Jesus gospel, guys. He came and died for you so that you can have a transformed life, a completely new nature that now desires God and desires to, to lay down the sin and, 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 and pick up his righteousness and his holiness and walk as a new creation, walk in that newness. And it is supernatural. No man can give it to you. You can't buy it. No preacher can promise it to you. It's truly, Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again and it comes from above. It only comes from God. So some people are going to get these resurrected bodies and they're going to go into condemnation and they're going to live eternally in hell when Jesus made a way. And I don't know, the scriptures are here and to the, I'm regenerated. I know I am. I can understand the word. I, I understand it. And the Holy Spirit teaches me the Bible. He, I, I don't know, the next time a Jehovah Witnesses comes to my door, I'm not gonna fumble trying to argue with them about all their twisted verses and their twisted Bible that they rewrote because they didn't rewrite this section. They won't knock on the door. They won't knock on my door because of my sign. But I'm gonna, if I get that opportunity, guess where I'm taking them the next time? I'm taking them right here to John chapter 5, 17 through 30. Oh, yeah. And I'm gonna say, explain to me how Jesus isn't God. When every attribute that can only be God. He says that he is. He can't be one of many gods because God is, God is monotheistic. He's only one God. We don't believe in multiple gods. Peter and Paul, they wouldn't have believed in Jesus if, he, if it had been multiple gods because God made it very clear in the Old Testament that there's only one God. But he operated, he God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In Colossians, it says that God put the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, ladies, we were just what? We just did First Peter on Thursday. We literally saw just in one verse how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saved us together. Father chose us. The Son atoned for us. The Holy Spirit sealed us. Right? Oh, what a God we serve. And it's beautiful. And just because our finite... Guys, lay down your egos and your pride to think that we should be able to understand everything about God. And we, it's, I mean, we have to trust and believe the word of God. And that's what we do. We trust and believe the word of God. I am done. That was it. We're only going to stay at verse 29. So comes forth those who have done good. So, you know, Jesus is going to have the authority 
to give you your new resurrected bodies. And because he is God, he knows everything. Because he's God, he's self-existent. Because he's God, he's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere at all times, so he knows every thought that you have. He knows your heart. He knows every intention. And so he will be a, he is the perfect judge and will be able to perfectly render your perfect judgment, whether it's judgment to condemnation or the resurrection, the new body that's going to be resurrected onto heaven. Lord, I am so grateful for your word and your word that tells us all truths about who you are. Thank you that you are fully God and fully man, that you would leave glory and come and die on a rugged cross, beaten and whipped and humiliated for us, your creation. There is no other that would do or have done such a thing. We truly have the one and true God. And it's a free gift. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do anything for it. It's truly free. All you require is that we believe and have faith in the Jesus that is spelled out in Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for each and every one of these women that heard this teaching today. And I pray that you continue to equip us with the truth of your word as we know the truth is at war right now. So many people with so many different beliefs and, and, and different ideas about who you are. And I want us to be equipped to know you and to be able to defend the truth. And so thank you that you left us this beautiful love manual that we can go to and glean from and stand upon. Lord, I pray you bless each and every one of my sisters today. Bless their homes, their families, their, their, um, their health, their finances, marriages, reconciliations. I pray in agreement with them for lost loved ones and, and things that they're going through, Lord. Thank you that you have us in the palm of your hand and nothing and no one will snatch us out for you are truly God. Amen. Till next time, sisters, God bless you. Family, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If it has blessed you in any way, would you give me 30 seconds and share it with a friend of yours? One more small little favor, if you would, head over to whatever podcast source you're listening to this on and give me a five-star review. That would be so great. It helps get the episodes out there to other people who may be wanting to learn God's word. Again, don't forget guys, until next time, it is a crockpot faith, not a microwave. With God's word, discipleship, and patience, you too will be transformed for his good work. Grace and peace I leave with you until next time.